G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. We look for the symbol, not the person. And so now John has a vision in Revelation 13. And in Revelation 13, he sees this beast that comes out of the sea. The beast has seven heads. What do we say that stands for? Authority and power. He has crowns. They are diadem crowns. They are not Stephanos crowns. Stephanos crowns are the crown of martyrdom. They are the crown of God. They are the crown of glory. This guy's a bad dude. Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Pastor, apologist, and Bible teacher. Hello, my name is Bill, and this is Today with Jeff Vines. We're in a series on the book of Revelation. And in this episode, Pastor Jeff starts a message from chapter 13. He'll speak about how the spirit of the Antichrist can be seen in our world today, a reminder of the spiritual battle that we're living in. Let's join Pastor Jeff now in Revelation chapter 13. I want to do something uh, just uh, to get started. Uh, I think that very few people in my generation and after realize that the sacrifice that people have made uh, in their families, uh, I think of mothers and fathers who have lost sons and daughters, who were defending our country, uh, who were pushing back evil so that you and I could meet in places like this. And so what I want to do, if you've served, ever served in the military, or if you're a, a mother, father, and you've lost a son or daughter in the in a, a conflict of any kind, uh, defending our nation, uh, would you stand? If you've ever served in the military, are serving, or if you've lost someone, would you stand? I want you to give these. Now quickly, as we go into Revelation 13, I need to move quite uh, rapidly. We've got a lot to cover. Uh, everybody's had a life-defining moment uh, at some point in their lives, some, something that happened, something that you read that suddenly opened your eyes to the truth of the reality of the world. And that, that's definitely true of my life. There's a passage of scripture that I read probably around the age of 30, uh, maybe a little later than that, that kind of grabbed my attention. It's first John five 19. You've heard me quote it often. And it says, we know we're the children of God, but the whole world lies under the sway of the evil one. Now, I'd read that numerous times, but it was one of those times in my life I stopped to think, wait a minute, what is this saying? Is this actually saying that somebody else is in charge to a degree on planet Earth, that I know I'm a child of God, but it says the whole world, and there's three Greek words for world. One is the people of the world, for God so loved the world, the people, that the world and everything in it is made by God. That's the land, uh, the cosmos, the uh, heavens and the earth, and then you've got this world in reference to a world system or a world government or a world authority. The Bible says, and this is very difficult to grasp, the Bible seems to indicate, in fact, it does indicate that there are two kingdoms in operation on planet earth and they are diametrically opposed to each other. That one is the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God is anti, it is, it is pro-Christ. 
It is pro-holiness. It is pro the things of God. It is pro-forgiveness. It is pro-kindness. It is pro-grace. It is pro all the things Jesus came to teach and bring. That is his kingdom. That's in operation to a degree on planet earth. But the Bible also says there's a secondary kingdom, a kingdom that is powerful, that has a mission, that has a strategy. And it is anti-Christ. It is the anti-things of God. So it is anti-purity, anti-holiness, anti-good, anti-life and living, anti-mercy, anti-forgiveness, all those things that are pro-Christ, there's another kingdom that is anti-Christ. Now, since we brought this up, I want to see a show of hands. How many of you have ever heard of the anti-Christ? You've ever heard it somewhere in a sermon or a book? Okay. Second question. How many times would you say that the term anti-Christ is mentioned in Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation, the entire book? How many times would you think the title is mentioned? And the answer is zero. How many times do you think the title Antichrist is mentioned in Revelation 13? I bring Revelation 13 because for many, this is the proof text along with Daniel 7 through 9 and Matthew 24 of the Antichrist. So how many times do you think the term or title Antichrist is mentioned in Revelation 13? The answer is zero. How many times is the term Antichrist mentioned in the entire Bible, all the Old Testament and all the New Testament? Three, once or twice in First John and once in Second John. So three times you see these words. Yet, do you know how many books and volumes I've read by people who are trying to identify the Antichrist? People have said that the Antichrist was Mussolini. He was the Antichrist. Others say Hitler. Others say Lenin. Some say Stalin, he was the Antichrist. I've even read papers and volumes written about John F. Kennedy was the Antichrist. I've even read a book that said the Pope was the Antichrist. 230 pages to prove that the Pope was the Antichrist. Other people say that Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist. And they said because his name is Ronald Wilson Reagan, and each word in all three names has six letters. So it's 666, Ronald Wilson Reagan was the Antichrist. After my message last week, some people even said that Jeff Vines is the Antichrist. Other people have said that Miguel Gorbachev was the Antichrist because of the big mark on his forehead, so he received the mark of the beast. It would be funny if I wasn't so serious. Others say Saddam Hussein. Others say Yasser Arafat. Some said Bill Clinton. Some claims still today, Bill Gates. But the worst of all is there are actually those who have claimed that Barney the dinosaur was the Antichrist. (laughs) Now here's the problem. Stay with me. This kind of speculation actually damages the credibility of our faith. Every time somebody stands up and says, this is what all Christians believe, this particular person is the Antichrist, and it turns out not to be true, it damages our credibility. Now what does the Bible actually say about this term, Antichrist? Well, it's only mentioned three times. Let me read to you those passages. The first one is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, John writes, this is the last hour. Wow. John believed he was living in the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. Now stay with me. 1 John 2, 22, who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist. 
Denying the Father and the Son. So he says, whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ, such a person is the Antichrist. And in the last passage, in 2 John chapter 4, verse 2-3, through 3, this is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. So John said that the Antichrist was already there. Now, what do we learn from this? We learn that John believed he was living in the last days. We learn that the last days began at Pentecost, the establishment of the church, and culminates in the coming of Christ and the second coming. You say, Pastor Jeff, how do you get that? Right out of Acts chapter 2. On the day of Pentecost, the disciples were able to speak in a language they had not yet learned in order that the gospel may go out quickly, rapidly throughout the known world. And people thought the disciples were drunk because they were able to do this. And the response in Acts chapter 2, verse 17, these people are not drunk, they said. It's too early in the morning. Then he says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. So Peter sees what's going on on the day of Pentecost as a fulfillment of Joel 2 that prophesies about the last days coming. So that I think my argument is pretty strong although I'm not right about everything and I could be wrong about this. But I think the argument is pretty strong that the kingdom of God, the last days began when Christ established his kingdom at the day of Pentecost and it lasts, the last days are until he returns in the second coming. That's why in the book of Acts chapter two, that same chapter, verse 20 says, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name will be saved. So the writer seems to say that Antichrist and many Antichrists will exist in the world from the very time that Jesus establishes kingdom until the time he returns. And the last days are these days all the way from Christ's establishment of the church until the second coming and that's why John himself believed he was in the last days and that the Antichrist had already come. Now, take all of that into consideration and think about what John sees now in Revelation 13. Now, let me summarize what I've just said. One person as the Antichrist that comes just before the end of time I do not believe, in my humble opinion, is consistent with what Revelation teaches, nor the rest of the Bible, nor what Jesus taught, nor what John teaches. We're not looking for one specific purpose. We are looking at apocalyptic literature, which means we look for the symbol. We look for the symbol, not the person. And so now John has a vision in Revelation 13. And in Revelation 13, he sees this beast that comes out of the sea. The beast has seven heads. What do we say that stands for? Authority and power. He has crowns. They are diadem crowns. They are not Stephanos crowns. Stephanos crowns are the crown of martyrdom. They are the crown of God. They are the crown of glory. This guy's a bad dude. He has the crown of diadem, power and authority and glory, but not the glory of God. And there's a blasphemous name written on his head. Now, the Bible says he has the body of a leopard. He has the feet of a bear. And he has the face, the voice, the mouth of a lion. Now, to John, remember, we said Revelation was not written 
to us, but it is written for us. John's mind would have immediately gone to this. The leopard represented in the Old Testament the metaphor of ancient Greece with its swiftness and agility of its military. The feet, the bear, represented the kingdom of uh, the Medo-Persian Empire, the ancient Medo-Persian Empire. It represented strength and stability. And then the mouth, in John's uh, idea or mind, represented by the lion, is the metaphor of ancient Babylon. Now, the thing that all of these kingdoms have in common is that they all were anti-God and they persecuted the people of God. So when John sees this animal rise up out of the sea, although he may not understand everything that he's seeing at the time, there is something that's happening in his mind that would relate whoever this beast is, not as an individual, but as powers and authorities. These are powers and authorities that are anti-God, that are anti the things of God, and they persecute the people of God. Now, let me try to summarize this a little bit because what happens, we get a little confused. Let's say something is anti-Jeff. What would something that is anti-Jeff look like? Okay? He would be someone with thick, wavy hair. Right? That would be anti-Jeff. He would have bulging biceps. That would be anti-Jeff. He would preach short sermons. That would be anti-Jeff. He would be a bad, bad golfer. That would be anti-Jeff. But also, anti-Jeff would hate people. Right? He would pursue wealth. Anti-Jeff would be an adulterer. He would not be faithful to his wife. An anti-Jeff would be apathetic toward the lost, not caring that those who are far from God would come near. You, You with me? The better question in apocalyptic literature is not what does the beast or who does the beast represent. The idea is what does this beast represent that will happen from the time Jesus establishes his church until the time he returns. And my best answer is the beast of the sea represents governments, powers, and authorities that war against the ways of God. They are, in essence, anti-Christ. And we're going to see where the beast of the sea goes into partnership with the beast of the earth. And they form an unholy alliance. And their alliance is a concerted effort by government and religions to debunk or to de-deify Christ. Think about the world we live in today. But it's no different than the world that started as soon as the church was born. There's always been a conscious effort by governments and authorities and by false religious systems to de-deify Jesus. To say, oh, he's a good man. Uh, Jesus was a great teacher. He was an incredible prophet. He gives us a good guide in order that we might live our lives or the abundant life. But to say that Jesus is God in the flesh who came to die for the sins of the world and the only way to the Father is through the Son is not a popular doctrine among the authorities and the governments and the false religions of the land. In fact, in 1 John 4, 3, he says, every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So this beast of the sea is not representing one person that's going to come near the end of time. This beast of the sea is a metaphor from the time Jesus established his kingdom until the time he returns. There are going to be antichrist governments, antichrist authorities, and people who represent the things that are anti-Jesus himself. Now, in verse 4, it says, people worship the dragon. Stay with me. Because he had given authority to the beast. Now, this is what John sees, that these anti-God governments and these anti-Christ authorities, they're not the real power behind the throne. The real power is the dragon. 
The dragon that we met previously representing Satan himself. He's the one that gives the power and the authorities and the philosophies and the world order and the world system to these anti-Christ, anti-godly governments. He's the real power. And because he is the real power, people began to not only worship the beast, they worship these governments and authorities because they put their hope and trust in them. They worship the evil one, either directly or indirectly. Now look, folks, this was written to John. John immediately, as he starts to put these things together, would think of what? He would think of Rome. Rome was called the city of the gods. It was a blasphemy. The Apox Romanus, the peace of Rome, all roads lead to Rome. In the days of John, Roman emperors were worshipped. They were believed to be the sons of God. People bowed and worshipped the rulers. They paid homage to the emperors. They believed that Rome was supernatural and invincible and that no other power was like Rome and that no one would be able to wage war against her. In verse 5 of chapter 13, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. Here we go again. We've seen this 42 months before. So the beast is going to be present during the entire church age from the time Jesus establishes his kingdom until the time he returns. And the Bible says it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. Rome blasphemed God by saying, your God is not God, the emperor is God. It slandered his name and dwelling place. Rome said, God does not live in your temple. God lives in the Roman palace and the authorities and the governments. And it slandered those who are in heaven, the people of God. Rome said, the only powers in heaven are Roman royalties and their sons and daughters who have gone before. So these are anti-God, anti-Christ governments that usurp the power of God and claim to be God themselves. As a matter of fact, not only that, but they, they persecute the people of God. Nero was emperor of Rome from AD 54 to AD 68. And I'm telling you this because I want you to see what Nero, or what John rather, was seeing in Rome as he saw these visions. Do you remember what Nero did? If you know the story, he set the city on fire and blamed it on the Christians. He did so because he was frustrated that he could not get a statewide policy of persecution. He wanted to sign and effect genocide to wipe all the Christians off the planet so that those who refused to worship the emperor and the gods of the emperor would be exterminated. He set the Christians on fire. He crucified thousands of them. He covered them in pitch and used them as lamps. He was relentless and cruel. But then in AD 68, Nero came to the end of himself. He was so frustrated, he committed suicide. And suddenly, it was the end of Christian persecution. In fact, after the death of Nero, if you know your history well, you'll know that the Roman Empire went into severe decline. But it was only for a season... Because when the emperor Domitian took over, he restored the glory of Rome. He brought revival to the city and faith in its people. He was the first emperor ever to sign into order an edict that said it was legal to kill Christians whenever and wherever. So as soon as that policy was signed, if you came across the path of a Christian, you were sanctioned by the government of Rome to kill that person. And then in 70 AD, Titus came in and desecrated the temple, the house of God. He destroyed much of Jerusalem, the city of God, and he violated the holy of holies. He walked right in and violated the dwelling place of God. And for many, they believe this is the meaning of verse 3. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound. Now, 
remember what we said about the beast. The heads represent power and authority. So one of the heads, one of the powers, and one of the authorities, the Bible says, seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. In this metaphoric language, we're looking at somebody who had authority, lost authority, looked like he would never return and gain back authority. And the Bible says the whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Now in John's mind, he sees this, and this is symbolic language for this. As soon as you think you get rid of one anti-God, anti-Christ government, don't worry, there'll be another one to fill its shoes. And that is the story of human history. It's happened from the time Jesus established his kingdom through Rome, and right on through the, uh, the powers that rise and take possession of planet Earth, right on through Germany, right on through Russia, right on through all kinds of governments who are anti-God, who debunk the idea of God and debunk the idea of Christ as the Savior and Redeemer of mankind. We're told again that the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words. It goes back to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at the kingdom that I have built with my own two hands and blasphemies to exercise its authority for 42 months. So John sees the application of the beast as these powers and governments that will exist on planet earth until Jesus returns, who will blaspheme the name of God, who will blaspheme and persecute his people, who will blaspheme the very throne and the power of God. Now, can we jump ahead a little bit into closer to our time? Think of China and North Korea and Japan with their adoration and the worship of an emperor. The emperor is viewed as infallible. The highest honor comes from dying for the emperor. The emperor is treated as a god. He's honored as a god. And he's sacrificed for as a god. And today, most of Europe believes there is no god. And they see the church of Jesus Christ as either irrelevant or restrictive. And you notice that our world today downplays, downplays the murdering and the persecution and killing of Christ's followers. Thousands lose their lives every day across planet Earth, and it's downplayed. Very seldom do you hear about it in the media because these anti-God, anti-Christ authorities are wanting to debunk the idea of God, to persecute his people, and to dishonor his name. Now, just keep following for a second. I think this will become clear if you stay with me. Let's take a closer example. Remember what we've said that these type of anti-Christ, anti-God, blasphemous governments and authorities are going to exist until Jesus returns. If we come closer to home, let's use the example of Germany. Do you think Germany saw themselves as invincible? Do you think, could you hear Hitler saying, who can wage war against us? A Reich that would last a thousand years. Was Hitler worshipped? Most people don't realize that 1834, 100 years before Hitler even lived, there was a German poet by the name of Enrich Ehn. Here's what he wrote. Only the cross of Christ is holding back the Germans' lust for war. He went on to say, if the cross could be broken, the forces of brutality would break out and the world would be filled with terror and astonishment. Now, isn't that interesting? As you read the history of Germany with Hitler and the church in Germany, what you discover, two things. First of all, you discover a long line of men who believed that Christianity and the cross was stifling Germany's thirst for blood and power. They actually believed that there were too many Christ followers in Germany who saw the cross as merciful. You've been listening to Today with Jeff Vines. Thanks for joining us. Next time, we'll bring you the rest of this message from Pastor Jeff. Most of Europe believes there is no God, and they see the church of Jesus Christ as either irrelevant or restrictive. 
And you notice that our world today downplays, downplays the murdering and the persecution and killing of Christ followers. Very seldom do you hear about it in the media because these antichrist authorities are wanting to debunk the idea of God to persecute his people and to dishonor his name. You can listen to more messages like this. Just search for Today with Jeff Vines wherever you get your podcasts. You make me Today. 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 Today with Jeff Fines. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.